The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to go back to a man who was a, a warrior, who was a poet, who was a sweet psalmist of Israel. We've been dealing with him for some time now, off and on. From time to time we go somewhere else. But the last time we dealt with David, we were in the 18th and 19th chapters of 1 Samuel. And we had talked about how David, the anointed king of Israel, in the place of Saul, had lost faith in God to protect him from that which was about to assault him. And if, if you remember in the, uh, uh, the 19th chapter, in uh, uh, the uh, 8th through about the 17th verses, you can read that sometime and you'll recall that when Saul sought to slay David, instead of trusting in God to deliver him as he had in the past, David's faith began to fail. And some would say, well, that's kind of appropriate. The king was coming to the palace to get him. The king was coming there to take him away. But Michael, his wife, who was the king's daughter, King Saul's daughter, had given David some unwise counsel and he took it and Michael and David got together and concocted this plan uh, where that David would be let down through a window and Michael would fix the bed as if David were still there and then lie about it when Saul came to, uh, to get David. And so you say, well, that seems pretty, pretty normal, pretty natural thing to do. And it is a natural thing to do. If the king gets after you, you flee. You say, surely if he hadn't fled, that Saul would have killed him because God can't really protect him in the palace, can he? Well, then you, you may recall we read the last few verses of chapter 19, which I love those verses. I love that account where David fled to Ramah where Samuel was. <laughs> and, uh, and he told him all that was happening to him and, and how Saul was after him. And then Saul found out he was down at Ra in Ramah with Samuel. So Saul says, I'm going to go get him. You say, well... Now's the time for Saul, uh, for David and Samuel to flee, right? <laughs> no, Samuel didn't flee. Samuel knew the Lord would take care of things. And if you remember, I love that story where they sent a company down there. They sent messengers to take David in verse 20. And when they saw the company of the prophets <laughs> prophesying and Samuel standing as appointed over, over them, the Spirit of the Lord was upon the messengers of Saul. And they prophesied. <laughs> You know, they, the, these warriors that, that, that Saul sent to take David and, and probably going to get Samuel too or kill him maybe, <laughs> when he goes down there to get him, you know, these warriors <laughs> go down there and they start preaching. <laughs> they start preaching. You know, and these, this is a, one situation, brother buddy, where men that weren't called to preach, preached, okay? <laughs> this is one place where they did it, okay? And it says, okay, well, Saul heard about it and he sent more messengers. And they went down there and next thing you know, these messengers start prophesying to him. <laughs> so Saul said, well, this time I'm going to take care of things. If you want to do something, you want to get something done and done right, you've got to do it yourself. <laughs> so it says, verse 23, he went thither, the Saul went thither to Naoth, uh, in Ramah and the spirit of God was upon him also 
And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. It hit Saul way before he got there. And all the way on the journey to where, from wherever it hit him to, to the place where David was, he was prophesying and preaching. And look at verse 24. I love this. this is, I, I, believe, I know God has a sense of humor. It says in places he laughs. Okay, He said, And he, that is Saul, stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in a like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore, they say is Saul also among the prophets. So the big king comes down and the big king is going to do it himself and he gets there and not only does he prophesy, he gets naked and prophesies. You know, now that's kind of an unusual thing, wouldn't you say? <laughs> that's not something you see normally. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, and the point I'm making here is, is that, that David, in losing his faith there, in his lapse of faith, he didn't trust God to take care of him. And, and God just sort of showed him. I, I, the Lord said, you know, I don't think David didn't get it now. Understand, we're going to read a little more about it today. <laughs> David didn't quite get it yet. But God just showed him, hey, I got this. <laughs> I got this. And David did not have to flee, I believe, like he did. So what happened to David? What happened to David? What were the roots of David's faithlessness? Well, I think there's two or three things we need to look at here, and maybe we can cover some other ground as well in the life of David here to show us how God delivers him eventually. First thing I think that we see is that he forgot God's promises. He forgot God's promise. Even before fleeing Saul, we detect a lapse in David's faith. If you look back in chapter 18, and we're not going to try to read the whole thing here, I encourage you to, to read these chapters because you'll get a blessing out of them and you'll understand the message better when you do that. But notice in verse 17 of chapter 18, Saul said to David, Behold my elder daughter Mirab, her will I give thee to wife, only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. Now, Stop right here and just remind you that one of the benefits, one of the benefits pack, part of the benefits package for killing Goliath, including included that Saul would give one of his daughters to the man that killed Goliath. And so, uh, so this is sort of a fulfillment of that benefits package that God said, "I'll give to you, to that man." And David is the man that did it, of course. But you also want to notice something here that that uh, Saul was a little bit disingenuous, was he not? <laughs> He really wasn't sincere with what he was doing here. He had an idea here that he was going to, okay, I'm going to give him my daughter. But, you know, in those days, in order to marry someone, you had to have a dowry. You had to make payment, essentially. Prove your worthiness in a sense or just, uh, you know, be, be, um, be prepared to deliver some something of monetary value or some of some sort. And so... Here we see Saul says, okay, here's my older daughter. I'm going to give her to you, but you've got to fight for me. You've got to be valiant in the Lord's battles. And Saul says, let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. Now, now we all know one of the defining events in King David's life is the adultery with Bathsheba and subsequent murder of Uriah. And how was it that David murdered Uriah? He didn't lift his hand against him. He sent him off into the heat of battle and had the others withdraw from him, and the enemy killed him. I wonder, are the roots of that plan, are the seeds of that plan planted here in David's mind with this? Because I know David figured out what Saul was up to. There's no doubt David was 
behaved himself wisely in many ways. Saul said, let's let the enemy kill him. I'm going to let the enemy kill my my enemy here. And, uh, and, and that sort of was his plan. But now, look, look at what David says, though, in verse 18. Now, now, perhaps David was being a little cautious, but, you know, David was a very sincere guy. I, I don't really read many places where David was able, for at least for long periods of time, to maintain a deceptive uh, plan. You know, he, he was always sincere, and I believe that was one of the differences between him and Saul. David would ultimately be honest with himself and with God and with the people around him. And notice what he says here. David said unto Saul, Who am I? And what is my life? Or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king. Now notice what he's saying here. He's saying here, You know, I'm not worthy to be in this position. I, you know, you're the king, you're giving me your daughter and... and I'm just really not worthy of that. And then, you know, the rest of the story is is that Saul actually um, should have given Merab, his oldest daughter, to David, but didn't, gave her to someone else. And then in verse 20, we read that Michael, his, his, I believe it's his youngest daughter, loved David, and that pleased Saul. And you remember the story there. Saul said, I'll give him to her that she may be a snare to him. Her own daddy knew something about her <laughs> that uh, that David apparently couldn't see, or maybe he just couldn't uh, d- didn't uh, know how to reject her. But he said, "I'll give her; she'll be a snare to him," you know, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. And so Saul again said, "Today you're going to be my son-in-law." But look at verse 22. Um, well, verse 23. After Saul's servants told him that David said, "Seemeth it a, to you a light thing?" To be a king's son-in-law, seeing that I'm a poor man and lightly esteemed? I don't believe this was all false humility on part of David. David is here saying, I don't, I'm not worthy. I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to be the son-in-law of the king, but you're, I just don't feel myself worthy of this. I, the service that I'm being called into, I'm just not worthy of that kind of position or that kind of service. Don't we do the same thing? <laughs> Now listen, don't misunderstand me. I know you are a dirty, rotten sinner, okay? (laughs) You know how I know that? Because I am a dirty, rotten sinner. I know every righteousness that you could ever present to God for eternal uh, glory or for eternal uh, justification is nothing but filthy rags. Every one of us is a depraved, dead, alien sinner in the sight of God. But every single one of us that is a child of God is a child of God that was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, He didn't choose you because you're not a dirty, rotten sinner. (laughs) You know, I don't know what the basis of God's choice was, but I know it wasn't based on how good we are. But when He chose us, He chose us for something more than just to go around with our heads hung down talking about what dirty, rotten sinners we are. (laughs) We are, he he didn't say, okay, you are so bad and you are so sorry and I I just can't tell you how bad you are a sinner. Go out there and think about it the rest of your life. (laughs) That doesn't help anybody, does it? I mean, that doesn't even help the Lord. The Lord's not interested in that kind of service. Listen, don't get too big for your britches. I get that. Don't get yourself. He that thinketh he standeth, let him take heed lest he fall. 
But remember that Ephesians chapter 1, you know, you just can't beat it. He says, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We are blessed. Why are we blessed? According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should go around moaning and groaning about how bad we are. No, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Do you know what He sees when He sees you? He doesn't see the dirty, rotten sinner that you are. He doesn't see the depraved, sin-cursed man that Adam made you. He doesn't even see the sins that you committed today because he's forgotten them. He'll remember our need. Austin brought that to us recently. He said, their iniquities will I remember no more. There are consequences for sin. Do you understand that? We're talking about from eternity is God who sits eternally on the throne in heaven. You know, as he looks down, <laughs> as he, you know, one of, the, one of the most beautiful stories I know. You know, he separates the sheep from the goats at, at one point, and, and we read about how the, the goats to the left hand and the sheep to the right hand. You know where Christ is sitting right now? Sitting at the right hand of the Father on high. You know where the sheep are in his mind, in his eternal mind's eye? They're on the right hand. You know who he has to look through to see the sheep <laughs> on the right hand? He has to look through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's why, that's why we don't have to go around with our head hung down all the time. Now, as I said, we are dirty, rotten sinners, but we are dirty, rotten sinners saved by the sovereign grace of God. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You know, um, we all know people that have been adopted. We all know them. And you think about in an adoption situation, how bad it would be if the parents go, let's say you've got parents that have uh, already have a couple of children, and they said, we're going to go adopt another child. And how, you know, even in our courts of law, even in our society today, as sin-cursed sin as we are, if those parents took that, that adopted child and brought that adopted child into their house, but then made them live in a house out back and constantly told that adopted child, well, you're adopted and you're not as good as the child, the children that we've got. And, uh, and, and, and you know, that's, that's kind of the Cinderella story, isn't it? <laughs> Isn't that kind of the Cinderella fairy tale that they tell us, you know, about the, 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 the wicked stepmother and the wicked, the two ugly stepsisters? Uh, and, and she kept putting them above Cinderella. And you see, that's, we don't like that. How, how bad would it be if God says, I'm adopting you and I'm placing you in my family uh, along with my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he's bringing many sons to glory. He's not bringing many red-headed stepchildren to glory. You know, that's not, you know, you heard that story say, oh, you treat him like a red-headed stepchild. Pardon me for those of you who are red-headed. I don't mean anything by that at all. But, uh, that, but you know, that phrase we use, they're not treated, we're not treated as second class, you understand. We're not treated as second class in the mind of God. He said in his mind, we are glorified. You see, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I love that. 
One day he's going to appear in the presence of the Lord and say, Behold I and the children thou hast given me. He's not, you know, he's talking about his brothers and sisters. He's the firstborn among many brethren. And in his mind we're glorified. David here is trying to prove his worth. In verses 25 through 27 we read that Saul says, Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to make you pay any money, but you've got to go kill a um, kill hundred Philistines. David goes out and kills 200 Philistines in order to prove himself worthy. You know, we do that sometimes, I'm afraid. We try to prove ourselves worthy to God when God says we've already been made worthy. He said, we are made accepted in the beloved. You know, sometimes we're trying to achieve our acceptance. I know, I know some people today that uh, uh, one, one person in particular, older, uh, uh, elderly gentleman in a, in a church of another order that has told me one time he's never taken communion at the church that he's a member of believes the doctrines of grace like we do but has never taken communion because he just didn't feel like he was worthy if that's the standard then we need to never have communion you see because we are not worthy <laughs> we are not not it but we've been made worthy through the blood of the lord jesus christ over in uh, in Romans the 8th chapter, in verse 14, listen to this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, I'm not going to get into what, I believe this is talking primarily about those that have been born of the Spirit. But, but think about it, when we are allowing our, those that have been born of the Spirit, and we're, those who have already been born of the Spirit, I should say, that when they then let them let themselves be led by the Spirit of God, they are indeed the sons of God. You know, sometimes I don't feel like a son of God when I'm not letting myself be led by the Spirit of God, even though I still am. But boy, when I'm letting myself be led by the Spirit, I feel like a son of God. But he said, now listen to this, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And that word Abba there is so sweet. That's, that, that's the equivalent of our daddy, you know. Our daddy. You know, Father is a very formal term. You may call your parent Father, and that's fine. And you may mean it in an endearing way. But in general, Father is more formal. But Abba, Daddy, is that term of endearment that we can call the Lord our God our Father. You see, we, we call him Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. We don't have to earn our self-esteem. We are esteemed by God. That's one of the beauties of the doctrines of grace, child of God. You know, in the works-based salvation, you may be a lot better than me because I may not have been as good as you, you see. That's why the Pharisee could come down to the front of the church and pray within himself, say, I thank you, I'm not like these other folks. I'm much better than everybody else in what I do, you see. Now the problem with that is, by the way, we all get to doing that. We all get to comparing ourselves among ourselves, oh, I'm not as good as him, or I, but I'm better than him. You know, the problem is you're gonna find those people every time you look. You're going to find somebody you're better than. You're going to find somebody you're worse than. Depending on your mood, you're either going to feel prideful or you're going to feel despairing, you see. You, you can do that. I promise you. It's like, it's like looking for signs. 
That's one of the reasons we don't look for signs. We don't follow signs is you'll find one if you're looking for it. <laughs> I promise you'll find a sign to justify anything you want to do, you know, or to lead you astray, you know. But see, we are esteemed of God. You know, He He purchased us with His own blood. Now, now we shouldn't feel ourselves to be valuable because we're not in, innately valuable in ourselves, but we are valuable to Him. David here is struggling with this, and David says, I just, I'm just not, you know, he forgot God's promises. I'm just not worthy to be in this position. And I believe that was some of the roots of his faith, faithlessness. And ultimately, he began to manipulate his circumstances to try to get himself where he thought he needed to be, even though he'd already been anointed king. You understand that David here is not the future king. David is the king. Because back in the, the earlier in this, in I believe it's the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel, God had stripped the kingship from Saul. Now Saul's still sitting on the throne, but he's lost the unction and anointing from God. And in the, in, I believe it's the 15th chapter. And in the 16th chapter, God sends Samuel to anoint David king, not future king, not heir apparent king. He is currently, as we speak, as he is there, slaying these 200 Philistines, trying to prove his worthiness to be in the king's family. He is the king. Child of God, you and I are kings and priests before God. Because we have been made worthy. We have been anointed by the Holy Ghost. We have been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been chosen by God the Father. And we can take that with us, you see. Not in pride and not in being lifted up, but in confidence and boldness. And I believe that was where the roots of his faithlessness began to, to fail, where his faith began to fail, I should say. But even in the midst of this, and I'm going to try to close with this this morning, and I confess to you, this is a little hard for me to talk about because it's, it's so touching to me. Don't ever let anybody steal your joy and understanding of the relationship between Jonathan and David. The world tries to turn it into something perverted and ambiguous, but it is clear and precious. God had given David one true friend. One true friend that as far as we can tell from everything I read in the Word of God never betrayed David ever. And that was Jonathan, the son of Saul. And I believe in the midst of his faithlessness, God gave comfort to David in, in a providential way. But it's also a sad story. In chapter 19 and verse 1, Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. That's a pretty big order from the king. But, verse 2, listen to this. Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David... And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art. And I will commune with my father of thee. And what I see, that I will tell thee. Now, you know that David had some misgivings. I'm sure he probably thought in his mind that you know I love Jonathan you know their souls were knit together we're told that when when Jonathan I don't know what exactly happened but Jonathan was a man of honor he was a warrior as we've discussed this morning he was a warrior not only for the kingdom of God spiritually but but materially physically in this world he was a uh, he you know we read about Jonathan Jonathan 
did some he, he performed some great feats you know he did some great things in in uh, in fighting for the Lord's kingdom but when when Jonathan it must have really I, I can't imagine I'd love to I don't know that we even get to think about these things when we're in heaven, but in, in a way, I'd love to talk to Jonathan when we get to heaven. How did it make you feel every day when that Philistine came out and challenged God's people and your father sat in his tent quaking and did not do anything about it? Even though your father stood headed shoulders, he was a giant among the Israelites. You know, if anybody should have been fighting Goliath, it should have been Saul. He should have gone down there and fought, but he was apparently a coward or, or, or clearly he was missing the leading of God and, the, and the, of the Spirit. But when David marched down there on that plane wearing his tunic and having five smooth stones and a sling, and he challenged that giant and he fought that giant and he slew that giant and he came marching up back up that from that valley floor with the head of that giant in his hand. Something happened with Jonathan. And his soul was knit to David from then on. David will tell us later that his love was surpassed, that, that um, surpassed the love of a woman. The love between David and Jonathan. And that's not something perverted. Let me just reiterate that. That's something that's special and precious. Let me just say to you, child of God, if God has blessed you with one true friend in life, that is a blessing beyond compare. And sometimes we men, you know, we get a little nervous about getting too uh, close to other men. But it shouldn't be that way. And in the kingdom of God, it is not that way. I was talking to Brother Dalton as we come in and everybody's uh, hugging him, going up hugging. I said, I guess you didn't get too many hugs of, uh, in boot camp, did you? <laughs> And you know, he didn't, he said. <laughs> but, uh, but you know why? Because that's not the church. <laughs> you know, this is the only place I go where, where if I leave here and I hadn't gotten a hug from you men, I feel cheated or something, you know? I mean, that's just, you know, anywhere else, if I go, if I go to court and people start hugging me, men start coming up hugging me, I'm gonna have a problem with that, okay? But, uh, but here, you know, it's something special. And my point is this, is that don't let anybody take that away from you. In the kingdom of God, there's a special love that is not perverted, that is pure. And that's the kind of love they had for each other here. He had one true friend. The rest of the story is this. In verses 1 through 7 here, Jonathan intercedes on behalf of, of his friend David. You continue reading that... Uh, that there's a time in verses 8 through about verse, uh, well, down through verse 17, as you know, that's where David flees. And then over in the 20th chapter, it says in verse 1, David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity? And what is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? And he said unto him, that's Jonathan speaking here, God forbid... Thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing either great or small, but that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It's not so. Jonathan still loves his daddy. He says, look, this is not, they're just telling you stories about dad. They're telling you lies. Dad's not really out to kill you. And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. And Jonathan said, David, you just tell me what you want me to do. I'll do it. 
So he tells him, and he says basically, you go back. There's a there's a uh, there's a feast, and uh, and if I'm not there, you know, if, I, I believe he's going to kill me at the feast. Uh, but but go back. I'll not show up the first day. We'll see how he acts. If he gets if if he misses me at all, you just say, well, David asked me uh, permission to go back to Bethlehem and 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 partake of this feast. And if it basically it's pretty good, you know, pretty good. Uh, plan on the part of David. He said, if he gets mad about me not being there, you'll know and I'll know that he's really out to kill me. And of course, you know the story. He goes back and sure enough, Saul is out to kill David. But I want you to listen to what Jonathan says unto David in verse 11 of chapter 20. Jonathan said unto David, now, now this is apart from one other encounter after this, there's only one other time when we see Jonathan and David together. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But said, Jonathan said unto David, in verse 12, they went out in the field together. In verse 12, he said, Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I've sounded my father about tomorrow, any time or the third day, and behold, if there be any good toward David, and I send not thee, show it thee, the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do thee evil, in verse 13, then I will show it thee and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace. Now listen to this covenant between Jonathan and David. He says, And the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. And thou shalt not only, while I yet live, show me the kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it, at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Now, essentially what he said here is this. He said, David, I don't believe this about my dad, but I'm going to go check it out for you. But if it's true, I want you to swear to me something. I want you to swear that as, as you and I have loved each other and had this friendship, that you will treat my progeny, my children and their children in a way that is consistent with this love. Because I know, David, that you're going to be the king. I love my dad, but he's not, he's not going to stay. And, and I realize that my, my understanding of what God has done, I trust God more than I trust my father. And I want you to be good to my children if indeed the Lord, I mean, if indeed Saul is out to kill you. As I said, you know the rest of the story? Sure enough, David was right. Saul was mad because he wanted to kill him. And so Jonathan came back, and he comes back to see him. And in, in, in verse 41 and 42, we read this last encounter, save one, between David and Jonathan. It says, As soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept one with another until David exceeded. David poured out his heart there because he knew that this was the end between him and Jonathan of that good relationship that they'd had. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for as much as we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. As I said, apart from, except with the exception of chapter 23, where they briefly see one another, we have no record where Jonathan and David ever met again. 
Don't things like this happen in our lives? Don't we have close relationships that end up, for whatever reason, we may separate and never see each other again? We've experienced this separation with Dalton, you know, and it's been a brief time, three months, and that was a traumatic thing for so many of us and certainly for his family. And he's back now, and we're so thankful, and we expect many of these reunions over the next few years. But, but, you know, sometimes we separate and never get to see each other again. Sometimes it's because of circumstances. Sometimes it's not because of anything you did or anything I did, but it's because of the sin that's around us. We have things like betrayal. We have things that occur in life uh, that cause us to be separated from people that, uh, that we're close to. But you know, sometimes our lives have to be stripped down to the core in order to serve God best. I believe that's what's happening here. All of the things, all of the people that David is relying on, all of the relationships that had borne him up, we're gonna see now that David's about to go into a place as we continue this study where it's, it gets to the point where he is alone in a crowd, in a cave, just him and God surrounded by lions and God is going to prove himself to be all that David needs. You see, uh, David found comfort in the providential care of God by sending him this friend. And now that this friendship has been taken away from him, God's going to prove himself to continue to be faithful, that he's still going to providentially care for David. Job says it this way. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know, that's the God we serve. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Because he will never leave us or forsake us. David did not stop trusting God. And therefore, he was able to bear even the loss of this friend. So I'll leave you with this. When we've been stripped of all of our devices, sometimes that's when our reliance on God is the greatest. You know, I've always heard it said, when you're laying flat on the ground, the only way to look is up. And sometimes that happens in our lives. Now, I'm not saying God is sending all these things or causing all these things to happen, but providentially, He's providing for us, and providentially, He's suffering things that come upon us. But 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, Paul says my, that God told him. This isn't Paul speaking. This is God saying this to Paul. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Here we see David losing his best friend, and yet he's able to still trust God. Let's remember that lesson as we go through life. God is faithful no matter what may come upon us, and he will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.